Happy Sagan Day! Stick around for a love story that spanned the cosmos this week on Planetary Radio. Welcome. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. November 9 would have been Carl Sagan's 88th birthday. The co-founder of the Planetary Society left us far too early at just 62, but his legacy could be found across most of science and in how the wonder and truth of science is communicated to those of us who don't do it for a living. Join us today for that love story between two people that encompass the cosmos. Carl's professional and life partner, Andruyan, will also tell us why Carl loved space exploration and why he was part of starting our organization. You'll hear about Carl across all our segments today, including What's Up with Bruce Betts, who has a new space trivia contest for us, and we're moments away from checking in with Sarah Alamed, who will share the inspiration she received from Dr. Sagan. What are your favorite space accomplishments, events, and images from 2022? Now's your chance to vote for some. Our ballot is at planetary.org slash best of 2022. You'll find seven different categories, including best JWST image and best planetary society accomplishment. Not that I want to tip the scales a bit, perish the thought, but I'm represented in two of the nominations in that category. Again, that's planetary.org slash best of 2022. You've got till November 30. This competition also leads the November 4 edition of The Downlink, our free weekly newsletter. Below it is the story of asteroid 2022 AP7. That is not, repeat, not going to hit Earth. At least not for a very, very long time. It's still a pretty interesting near-Earth asteroid, though. Researchers may have found the shore of an ancient ocean on the Red Planet. What really impresses me about this newly analyzed data is that it came from the Mars Global Surveyor, the orbiter that stopped talking to us in 2006. It's always great to see new science coming from a mission that ended long ago. There's more at planetary.org downlink. Sarah Alamed has a few weeks left as the Planetary Society's digital community manager, after which she's moving on to some other job that I seem to have forgotten. Oh yeah, she'll be the host of this show. Sarah, welcome again. You have not heard it yet, but I hope that you will listen to what's up today because you'll hear me talk about the wonderful, wonderful comments we have gotten from people, mostly who entered the contest two weeks ago, which is when, of course, I introduced you to the Planetary Radio audience, though they had already heard you. And it's just lovely what people have to say about you and about me as well. So uh, stay tuned. That's wonderful to hear. I've been getting just such a flood of welcoming emails and messages. It's really heartwarming. I'm not a bit surprised. Sadly, we'll have to go from the heartwarming to the heartrending, at least to a degree, because we have learned in the last few days that a wonderful mission to Venus is going to be delayed, delayed quite a bit. Can you tell us about what's happening with Veritas? That's true. We got a recent update on NASA's Veritas mission to Venus. It's going to be delayed by about three years which I believe means that it's still hypothetically launching in 2031. But the weird thing about this is that it's not even really an issue with the Veritas mission. This is actually the result of what's going on with the Psyche mission, which is aiming at an asteroid 
of that same namesake, Psyche. It's a metallic asteroid. We want to know all about it, but there have been some issues with the mission, particularly with staffing, budget, and some miscommunication behind the scenes. So in order to make sure that both Psyche and Veritas go off well, it looks like they're going to have to delay Veritas for three years in order to facilitate that. And of course, we had already heard that Psyche would be delayed because of these problems. They missed their launch window. As we uh, always say, and we always hear from people around NASA, better to get it right than to get it done early. Just one other thing, Sarah, again, you have not heard my conversation with Andrew Ian yet. It is uh, a celebration to some degree, a large degree of Sagan Day, what would have been the 88th birthday, I think I figured out. I say it early in the interview of our co-founder, Carl Sagan. Uh, did he mean a lot to you uh, as you came up in this business? So much. And it's funny because it started back before I even have memories. My parents, my mother and father were really deeply into Cosmos and started showing that to me when I was just a tiny child. And that, you know, I'm sure in ways that I'm not even aware of, began my love of, of space and science and, and the planets. And then later I grew up and, and just you know, Carl Sagan's work has inspired me and so many other people. And here I am all these years later, a science communicator trying to follow his path and working at the Planetary Society, the organization that he co-founded. It's an absolute dream. And I like to think that Carl would be very proud of this organization and all of our members and supporters for loving space as much as he did. Well said. I couldn't agree more. Sarah, thank you so much. Thanks, Matt. Sarah will become the host of Planetary Radio when the new year begins. I'll be back in a minute with Andrewian for our celebration of Carl Sagan's birthday. This is Planetary Radio. Hello, I'm George Takei, and as you know, I'm very proud of my association with Star Trek. Star Trek was a show that looked to the future with optimism, boldly going where no one had gone before. I want you to know about a very special organization called the Planetary Society. They are working to make the future that Star Trek represents a reality. Boldly go to build our future. There's so much going on in the world of space science and exploration, and we're here to share it with you. Hi, I'm Sarah, Digital Community Manager for the Planetary Society. Want more space? We've got the latest news, pretty planetary pictures, and Planetary Society publications on our social media channels. You can find the Planetary Society on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I hope you'll like and subscribe so you never miss the next exciting update from the world of planetary science. Welcome back to Planetary Radio. I'm Matt Kaplan. Andrian was Carl Sagan's partner in every way. She continues his great work as the CEO of Cosmos Studios, as an author, and as producer, writer, and director of the latest excellent incarnation of Carl's pioneering TV series, Cosmos, Possible Worlds. What follows are excerpts from my much longer conversation with Anne. You can hear it all in our podcast and at planetary.org slash radio. Andrew, and welcome back to Planetary Radio. I uh, There were people that I knew I wanted to have final, I hope not truly final, but final conversations with as the host of this show. You rose to the top of that list. Thank you for joining us once again. Matt, I'm really happy to be celebrating Carl's birthday with you today, but a little misty, not sad, but wistful about the idea that this will be the last of our conversations 
under these auspices, exactly. I want to talk about why you are my ideal interviewer. Oh, my gosh. It, no, I, you have to permit me this. Can I leave uh, for a minute and you can go on? But I uh, know <laughs> yeah, you can leave. But I want to say to your listeners that it's very rare to have a conversation with someone who is so knowledgeable, always knows everything significant about the person that you're interviewing. Um, so kind, so patient, such a great listener, which is a very important qualification for any interviewer, but also someone who is so articulate and has so many important things to say. So it's an honor to be with you again. I just want to thank you for all the hours of great conversation that we've shared. I, I, I am rarely speechless, and I'm not now, uh, but I'm as close as I get. Um, thank you, Anne. Um, truly, uh, talking about me being articulate and, and caring about the stuff I talk about, um, I mean, my gosh, it could not come from a source that um, is, is, has better qualifications in either of those areas. Thank you so much. Listen, you already said joining us on Carl Sagan's birthday because this show will be published on November 9th. You know, there are a lot of people out there who celebrate this day as Sagan Day. I'll add my vote, so happy Sagan Day, Anne. Uh, how, do you Sagan day. how do you feel about this very unofficial holiday? Well, you know, I don't want to sound gushy, but I, I think I'm celebrating Carl's existence and Carl's birth every single day of the year. Hmm. Every heartbeat uh, ever since June 1, 1977, when we first expressed our feelings for each other, I think I have been celebrating just the greatness of Carl. And of course, your listeners are familiar with his scientific achievements and his enormous contribution to public outreach, to spreading the values, the methodology, the great stories of, that science has to tell to the widest possible global audience, being a pioneer in so many different fields of science, being the first person to know the real temperature of Venus, yes, yes. to understand that it was the result of a runaway greenhouse effect his PhD thesis as a very young man. Why was Carl so passionate about space exploration and, and the search for life across the cosmos? Because he had this bottomless curiosity about nature. He was in awe of nature, as I think we all should be. And he wanted, he wanted to love nature the way that science does, not maintaining his cherished misperceptions, but instead looking at nature as clearly and as cold-eyed as he possibly could to see its true wonder. And he believed that it was his great good fortune to be born at a moment when his childish dreams in the 1940s could actually be exceeded by the reality of his later life, that he could be a participant on an interstellar mission and he could 
you know, these little points in the sky, the planets and their moons became places in his lifetime. I'm so proud of, you know, he's such a healthy human being and he followed his bliss. You know, some people follow their bliss, but they can't be happy in the exploration of that bliss. They want to acquire something else that may be unattainable. Carl wasn't, he didn't have that problem. He knew how lucky he was. He carried on all of his many careers with this kind of joy, this energy that, you know, when you think about it, he was running, you know, six different careers simultaneously and not at the expense of his personal life. That was because he didn't have these these barriers between work and, and life and happiness. For him, they were seamlessly all of a piece. And that was the, you know, that was one of the great joys of living with him. Where does the Planetary Society fit into this vision? I mean, I assume it was part of at least uh, one of those uh, six different lives that he was leading. Yes. Well, he, with Bruce Murray and Luke Friedman, had this dream in the early 1980s that there would be a way to bring people together. Remember, this is before the internet. This is before we started living on our phones and our electronic media. He had this dream that there would be a public space interest group that would be motivated by our desire to protect this planet and to discover and to explore the other worlds. And so it was, and it was always in his mind, those two impulses equally. And he believed that a civilization that was engaged in exploration and that had internalized the the horrendous lessons of the first ages of exploration on planet Earth, a civilization that was engaged in thoughtful, conscious exploration would remain vital and would always have new questions to chew on and to wonder about. And that would be a very healthy thing. He also believed that exploration was a great use of testosterone and you know, <laughs> a way to divert testosterone from armed conflict, for a way for nations of the world to join together in, in an endeavor that could equally absorb the dreams, the talents, the strengths of all of us. I told you a few days ago that my greatest professional regret is that I never had the opportunity to interview Carl. I was only in the ro- a room with him once as a scruffy college reporter and didn't come up to the level of the major networks uh, that, that were demanding his time, uh, rightfully so. I will say the many conversations that I've had with, with you, the fact that I served the organization that he co-founded, those have been pretty good compensation. I still regret that I never had that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so sorry you guys didn't meet. I have a very strong conviction that he would have been as fond of you as I am. Really, if you are a scientist and you have that knowledge and you see how many people, a number of people on this planet who still refuse to believe that it's round, uh, these are problems that bite us 
every day because that person clearly hasn't been given the gifts, the strength, the weapons against against being deceiving yourself. The point is, is that, you know, what we need is, is in this society, which Carl said probably a thousand probably during his lifetime, a society dependent on science and high technology in which so few of us understand. For most of us, it's such a matter of such mystification. How, you know, we're communicating with each other at the speed of light. Mm -hmm. And we're doing that with people all over the planet. That is something that is a great power that should be demystified, that every one of us should have some you know, vague working understanding of what those electrons are doing. And yet, as long as it's a priesthood with a secret, a set of secret formulae that that most of us don't understand, the danger to our society is very great. The other example I love, and and the boss here, uh, Bill Nye, loves to use this one. You know, my, my phone... If I ask, it knows exactly where I am, wherever I am on the face of Earth. You know why? Science, technology, and a big helping of Einstein. Yes. <laughs> Relativity. Yes. Yes, there's some Einstein. There's some Arthur Clarke in there. Mm, yeah, there's, yeah. Yeah, there's, in fact, that would be a wonderful, I'd love to do a sequence of Cosmos in which all of the, 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 the thinking, the discoveries, the minds, uh, you'd have... Michael Faraday, you would have James Clark Maxwell. Think of all of the people who contributed to this this great power that virtually all of us have. The entire the contents of the libraries of the whole world <laughs> in our phone. It's wonderful. There's no excuse, actually, for the amount of ignorance that afflicts us. I want to see that episode, uh, so I, I'll look forward to it. We may be, who knows, only a few years away from discovering life elsewhere, whether it's, you know, Mars or Europa or some distant exoplanet. Wouldn't he be just thrilled by all of this? Well, you know, I have to admit that when Carl was dying, I held his face in my hands and I looked so deeply into his eyes and I felt the pain, which I felt ever since, that he would never know the answer to some so many of the questions that motivated him and impelled him to work so hard. And yes, I mean, do I wish that, you know, he could see the pictures from the Webb telescope and sail the seas of Titan Mm. and, you know, do so many things that we have yet to do, but will be doing in the near future. And so many things that we have now accomplished. Yeah. It is painful to think of all the things that he never got to see, especially, I must say, our children and their, their beautiful growth and their families. You know, there's, there's a lot of pathos to go around, but um, but I think he would have been the first to say that that slice of time that he had was miraculously perfect for 
the things he cared about most. I mean, he wouldn't have complained because, as I said earlier, you know, he got to fulfill and exceed so many of those dreams. Thank goodness, because, I mean, he was there and, in fact, helped to generate what we now call this golden age of exploration, another golden age. He did, and his, you know, his scientific priorities are essentially topic A of... Uh, not only the space sciences, but the environmental sciences and so much else. You've reminded me, for years now, I've been toying with this thought. Should I get that tattoo that I have in mind? After this conversation, I can't think of a better way to celebrate completing my 20 years as host <laughs> than getting, it won't be much, a tiny blue dot, maybe right about yes. here on my yes, arm. That's yes. it, just a little blue dot. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Hey, Matt, congratulations on 20 years of excellence, of setting a great standard of communication. I cherish our times together. I'm really looking forward to more. Can't wait to meet Sarah. And happy birthday, Carl. Happy birthday, Carl. And thank you very much, Anne, for everything. Uh, I look forward to our next conversation. Me too. It's time again for What's Up on Planetary Radio. Here's the chief scientist of the Planetary Society. That's uh, Bruce Betts. And now you can tell us about the night sky, and then we'll talk more about Sarah. But not our Sarah, right? No, um, well, indirectly. A little bit. Yeah. Side of, okay. In the early evening, we still, we've got Jupiter, really bright Jupiter up in the east, southeast, and Saturn's really not that close. It's not really hanging out with Jupiter. It's uh, considerably over towards the west and looking yellowish. And then we've got uh, Mars coming up in the mid-evening now. It's uh, coming up earlier and earlier and getting brighter and brighter as it moves towards opposition, closest uh, or the opposite side of the Earth from the sun. And it's getting closer to its uh, closest point in its orbit for this 26-month period to Earth's orbit. And it's almost as bright as Jupiter right now. Looking reddish, very cool mid-evening. Check that out in the east. Move on to this week in space history. All sorts of stuff this week. I kind of had to pick and choose. So I picked Apollo 12 launched, taking the second set of humans to the moon. Then in that was in 1969. And then in 1971, Mariner 9 became the first orbiter at Mars. The year I graduated from high school. They could have done it sooner, but they were waiting for you. They didn't yeah. expect you to be held back. I did. Oh, come on, Bruce. Stop it. Let's move on to random space. Oh, I love it. You've heard of Carl Sagan, right? Yeah. He was a uh, scientist. He used to go on the Carson show. Yeah. As you also may have heard, the Carl Sagan Memorial Station is the Pathfinder lander on, on Mars uh, with the first rover sojourner. But also, Matt, did you know, and you probably did, that uh, in Star Trek Enterprise, they referenced a, a plaque put on the surface by the Mars Historical Preservation Society. I was surprised to find this and realized the quote they put on the plaque do you know what that's from? No, I don't remember that. But I do remember I saw the episode. Whatever the reason you're on Mars, I'm glad you're there and I wish I was oh, with you. Yes. That's from us, right? Isn't that from our message? It is indeed. So it's from Visions of Mars, which is the first library on Mars, 
the science fiction and science writings, but also had greetings from Carl Sagan, as well as Arthur C. Clarke and Lou Friedman. Uh, it's Carl's greeting, and that landed on Mars in 2007-2008 with the Phoenix lander. Let us move on to the trivia question. Where were we asked you, because of our incoming host, where in the solar system is there a feature named Sarah? How'd we do, Matt? Nice responses. Well, a number of people did come up with the one that I believe you were looking for, including our poet laureate, Dave Fairchild in Kansas. Here it is. Venus craters named for women, says the IAU. That is where we have to go for Sarah's rendezvous. Named in 1994, it's 20 clicks in size. Visiting this crater now would certainly be unwise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think, think we should schedule a field trip or travel. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, that's that's what was on my mind was the uh, Venus crater, roughly 20 kilometers in diameter, named Sarah. Well, let's congratulate John Leindecker out of Colorado. He is a now, anyway, a three-time winner. His last win was nearly three years ago. His first win was in 2014. So, John, it pays Your statistics are amazing. Isn't that great? <laughs> I think that's accurate. He sure enough said it's a, it's a crater on Venus. So, John, we're going to send you that signed copy of Brian Keaton's newest book, Into the Impossible, Lessons from Laureates, that is Nobel Laureates, to stoke curiosity, spur collaboration, and ignite imagination in your life and career. Congratulations again. Thank you all. Let's do this again. We mentioned the Pathfinder site named the Carl Sagan Memorial Station. What have the two Viking lander sites been named? Who are each of those named after? Go to planetary.org slash radio contest. All right, you know how this goes. You've got until Wednesday, November 16 at 8 a.m. Pacific time. Why? Because that's where Bruce and I live. Uh, to get us this one. <laughs> Our winner this week, because I have a few extra copies, is going to get the beautiful recording of the Moon's Symphony, composed by Amanda Lee Falkenberg. This is, you remember, right, folks? It's that uh, symphony that Amanda has created with the uh, London Symphony Orchestra and the London Voices, uh, the orchestra under the direction of Marin Alsop, who had, has signed this CD. You will get a signed copy. Inside is the cute little booklet with um, notes about the moons, because each of the seven movements was inspired by a different moon. An essay, a liner notes by yours truly. I want to add in my, uh, my new temporary segment, which is uh, fun memories of things we uh, <laughs> did when recording What's Up, uh, really quick. Remember when we recorded in uh, Caltech racquetball court? Oh, yeah. Great, great acoustics. <laughs> <laughs> I may have mentioned on the show before, Matt's funny because he, he, he wants quality for the listeners and either complete silence or some ambience. And that was just hilarious ambience. You met me at the racquetball courts and we recorded there. I am Radio Man. It's, uh, it's yeah, you're right. I and we need to do at least one more of these on location. I mean, I moved away and that didn't help, not that far. But I we got to do one more of these on location sometime. All right, everybody, go out there, look up the night sky, and think about what the uh, uniform of 
the superhero Radio Man would look like. <laughs> Thank you and good night. I hope there's a cape. There's got to be a cape, right? Got to be a cape. There's definitely a cape, but no one can see it. With a big RCA microphone, the silhouette of an RCA classic ribbon microphone. He's Bruce Betts, the chief scientist <laughs> of the Planetary Society, who joins us every week here for What's Up. Radio nerd. By the way, it's Keating, Brian Keating. I bet Brian is also a fan of Keaton, Michael, and Buster. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by its members, Joaquin Verda and Ray Paletta. Our associate producers, Josh Doyle, composed our theme, which is arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser. Ad Astro. <laughs>